Let us pray. Loving God, I pray that the words that come from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, I did warn you if you were listening to me two weeks ago that James packed a punch. And you don't need years of biblical scholarship to have an idea what's going on here. You even don't need to know what's going on in the world at the time when James was writing to understand what he's concerned about today. James is embodying a scolding parent as he says, you Christian boys and girls better watch your mouths. It's a pretty simple point. And one, despite its simplicity, that we still haven't got right. It remains an ongoing issue for the church collectively and individual followers of Jesus. Given that it has been such an issue, it's almost tempting for me just to suggest that we shut up for 10 minutes and have a good, long, hard think and reflect about what we say, how we say it, and how it reflects the God we say we believe in. But we are going to dig into this passage and see where James takes us. And it might just be to a very familiar territory. So I hope you've got your Bibles ready or your Bible apps. Open to James chapter 3. Um, well, actually, we're going we're gonna to flick back to the start of James, verse 26. And right up front, James uh, defines what wisdom is like. Wisdom looks like, first, taking care of how we speak. Secondly, giving care to those in distress. And lastly, being careful about what we let into our lives. It would be easy to look at the book of James and, and these types of as aspects and just think, well, this is just an ethics lesson. But for James, it's so much more. It's intrinsically linked to our faith in God and the person of Jesus Christ. God is envisioned by the way we live, we act, and we speak. God is known by the way the church corporately speaks about the gospel and speaks about the neighbour. I know it does sound trite, but there's real truth in the old saying that you are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read. And there has to be something about a gathered Christian community like ours and the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we communicate with each other and the world around us that points to the presence of God. But today, James is challenging us that one of the biggest stumbling blocks to pointing towards the presence of God is the way that we speak. And to be blunt, the way that we talk to and about each other as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as church gathered, can leave the world champions of sledging, the Australian cricket team, looking like choir boys. 
this part of James's letter focuses in on how faithful Christians should speak to other human beings who are equally made in the image of God and calls us to account for our abusive language. Let's uh, flip back to the start of chapter 3 um, in that first verse. In this uh, opening verse, James counsels the community that not many of them should become teachers. I think we've got at least half a dozen to a dozen teachers regularly on a Sunday, some principals, um, people who work in schools. Don't panic. I don't think James is having a dig at your profession. Um, You could read this um, passage in the Greek a little differently to the way that it's translated in the English. You could read it in the Greek as do not become many teachers. I love the way that um, that sort of implies that all of us don't have to be teachers. In fact, if we all become teachers, there's going to be some issues. Uh, Eugene Peterson puts it like this in his um, uh, paraphrase in the message. He says, don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. James as he's writing, is is writing in the first-person plural. So he includes himself in his rationale. Teachers, himself included, will be judged more harshly than anyone else. As part of um, my own coming to terms with my identity as a church leader, I constantly have to remind myself and have the Holy Spirit remind me that I'm held and I will be held to much higher standards than other followers of Jesus. I'm still allowed to, and let me assure you, I still make plenty of mistakes. But I do realise that my words, because of my position, carry significant weight. And they can, when used for good, through the power of the Holy Spirit, bring greater revelation and realisation because of who I am and what I do. But equally, when I'm careless, they can bring greater harm and confusion because of my position. I fully expect to be held to account by my God for the way that I've used my words. But we've all seen in recent years how society has been holding to account church leaders when harm has been the outcome of their words and actions, or lack of them. Teachers in James's day gave public speeches or discourses or lectures, and other hearers gathered around enthusiastically. And today, teaching today is generally not delivered in public spaces like the promenade down at the town centre. And we, as I said, we've got a number of brilliant teachers connected to to our church, and they could easily stand up and let us know um, a number of other ways that are much more effective methods of learning. But in the absence of accessible education systems, developed curriculum, innovative pedagogy, and facilitative learning environments, you can see I've been on school boards for a while, um, 
that teachers took to public spaces to spread their insight and to influence others to their point of view. And in James's day, teachers were noticed. They were important. In fact, they were the celebrities of James's world. And we know from Paul's writing that one of the tactics that some of these teachers, these rock star teachers, would use was to drag down other teachers in order to elevate their ideas. And as you read through the letter of James, it doesn't take long for you to realise that James isn't happy with this situation, not happy with this type of behaviour where somebody is dragged down for another to be built up. More to the point, James was starting to witness this type of behaviour in his fledgling Christian community that was developing in Jerusalem. As if they were practising for the public spaces by tearing each other down so that they could build themselves up. In the world in which we live in today, the survival of the fittest type of world, it's become normal that if you want to succeed, someone else has to fail. And there's no better time of year to see that happening when we're in the grip of finals fever. You see the elation of the winner and the devastation of the loser. If you saw me last week, you would have seen some of that devastation. <laughs> As we look back at our recent history, um, you can see propaganda has become a powerful influencer. And I remember when I was studying modern history at school, uh, the propaganda um, was of two types. It, it really projected yourself in this amazingly uh, together image, or it projected the opposition in an incredibly negative way. And today, uh, in recent years, we've seen the emergence of what's called fake news. It's a similar impact and effect. James wouldn't look at our church and say, we've got far many teachers in our congregation. Rather, he'd be calling out the way that we still drag others down to build ourselves up. Before I move off this uh, teaching illustration um, and on to the second verse, that's right, I haven't gone past the first verse yet. Hope you're comfortable. Ah, that's all right. Um, if we are not all meant to be teachers, then, then what should we be? Well, one plus one should equal two. If we're not a teacher, we should be a student. And I don't think it's any surprise that the best teachers that I've encountered also have been able to remain students. Christians historically have been really good at trying to tell the rest of the world how they should behave generally with very bad results. But if we were to stop focusing on what we can teach others, I think we would be much more open to being and continue to be taught. So let's move on to verse number two. 
James says everyone is going to make mistakes. If you don't make the odd verbal gaffe every now and again, then James says you would be perfect. But although everyone makes mistakes, communication and the way that we communicate those mistakes and slip-ups amplifies its effect. The more our mistake or hurtful word is repeated and the more authority in which it's clothed, the greater its damaging effect. How quickly harmful words become the perceived truth. Um, there's, there's a great quote um, that's attributed to Mark Twain. A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Now, the irony of that quote is, um, from my research, Mark Twain didn't actually say that. So that's actually a lie in itself. That how quickly we repeat stuff and the way we repeat it, it, it does have power. And while James acknowledges that everyone slips up in their speaking, he presses the case that we shouldn't just shrug off its effect. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's been in those situations where we've suffered foot-in-mouth disease um, and thought to myself, why on earth did I say that? I don't know about you, but my general response when I say something stupid is to try and sheepishly slip away or quickly change the subject or pretend that I really know what I'm talking about. But James would encourage us that the next time that we say something stupid, rather than slip away or pretend that we know what we're talking about or change the subject, actually speak out loud what most of us probably think in our heads and say words like, you know, I'm really sorry. That was a really stupid thing to say. I obviously wasn't thinking. I'm sorry for the offence that I've caused by my carelessness. As we do that, we're actually modelling to the other person or the other people repentance. And all of a sudden, they look on us as followers of Jesus in a different way. You might be pleased to know that I'm not going to go through the rest of the uh, 10 verses, verse by verse by verse by verse. We'd be here all morning. Um, but ultimately what James is doing in this part of his letter is calling us to examine ourselves closely. An examination that focuses largely on what comes out of our mouths. And the reason we are called to do that is to work out who we truly are. You would have known from the last few weeks that James is really big on this idea that who you are should be able to be seen by what you do. And here he's saying also by what you say. And so James wants to challenge us with this question, are we really believers who follow Jesus? Or are we self-focused? And yes, James knows we're going to slip between those two states throughout our life. 
But if we take James's advice and practice self-awareness and bringing those failings out into the open and before God, then it is possible to control our unruly tongues. But to do that, it's going to require constant attention to who we are and what God has made us to be. James wants us to consider what it means to think of our tongue as the thing that controls our whole being. And actually, when you think about it in the world that we live in today, maybe we also need to consider that it's not just what we say, but it's what we type into our social media platforms that can control our whole very beings. So let's get honest as I wrap up. What motivates us to say harmful things? I'm not talking about those innocent, semi-innocent slip-ups that we will always have from time to time. I'm talking about those times when our words intentionally harm others. And don't say you don't do it. I know we all do it. We all try not to, I know, but it is part of our fallenness and our brokenness. Why do we do it? Well, I think the truth is that when we do it, we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. We're seeking our own kingdom and our own agenda. And when we do that, the all these things that follows is misery. Sometimes our own misery, but often when we use words to seek first our own agenda, those around us are harmed while we wallow in this bubble of self-righteousness. If we're truly seeking first the kingdom of God, then the way that we look at the world changes. That we start to see others before we see ourselves. And so our language reflects that. The words that come out of our mouths are words of affirmation, of encouragement. Yes, sometimes we might challenge and confront but our words will always be slow to anger and abounding in love. This is the faith that works that Dale preached to us about last week. As we explored during the month of August, when we seek first the kingdom of God, our vision to be a church known for its relationships with God, with each other and our community, starts to come to life. I wonder what our church would be like. And I think it's part of being known for our relationships. What would it be like if we were a church known for the way that we speak? The way that we speak to and about God. People notice what we say and how we say words about the God we believe in. What would it be like if we were a church known for the way that we spoke to and about 
other members of the church. I've been going to churches for 46 years now. Um, I've got to say, Christians can say some of the most hurtful and outrageous things to each other. But what if we were known by the loving words of encouragement that we spoke to each other? What sort of difference would that make to our church? What if we were known for the way that we spoke to and about our community rather than jumping to conclusions that it was one of those young people who did that or those people out there are always causing problems? If they were more like us, the whole world would be a better place. What if we started to use words that reflect the way that God sees the world as created in his image, as beautifully and wonderfully made? What if we started to value those things around us? What difference would that make to our church? I pray that that's the direction that we're all heading in. I know we're not always going to get it right, but let's press on and seek first the kingdom of God and really believe that all these things will be added. Can I pray? Lord, help us to watch our mouths. Help us to think before we speak. But above all, help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to have your view of others and the world. Help us uh, to have a close view of you and to come closer in relationship to you so that what comes out of our mouths is a more authentic version of who you are and who you call us to be in the world. Help us to be a church known for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to continue.